Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. A 42-year-old record is on its way to 43 after another failed attempt by Marseille to clinch three points in Bordeaux. The nil-nil draw put us all to sleep, but thankfully there were eventful rivalry, rivalries elsewhere in Ligue 1 this weekend, starting with a dramatic derby win for Rennes. It was feisty across the league as a vengeful Neymar and a sour Mbappé were on show in Paris. Jelson Martins lost his mind in Nîmes, and Nice and Lyon also hosted some fighting. I am your host, Pierre-Paul Birmingham. With us today, I'm very glad to welcome back Rich Allen. Hi, Rich. Hi there. Thank you for having me back. It's great to have you. We, we've missed you. Are you excited that Rennes has uh, signed a, a world champion? Well, the world champion was desperate to join Rennes, from what I understand. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite true. And with us today as well is GFFN Editor-in-Chief, Christian Nuri. Hi, Christian. Hi, Pierre Paul. Thank you for having me. I understand we have not ripped you off of Twitter duty and that uh, anyone who's desperate from, you know, whatever transfer news would come out on a February, on a 3rd of February, won't have to wait that extra hour at the moment. No, no. I, well, you know, you've, you've, you've wonderfully dragged me onto this podcast as the like <laughs> to be here. I'm not, I'm not involved at the moment, but uh Hey, the Japanese market is still open. Um, oh boy! So that, that gives a lot of uh, a lot of some certain French outlets time to still link players somewhere. Mm. It's probably more impactful for aging Barcelona players, but um, we don't you don't see many French guys going over to Japan. For sure. Um, let's begin then today with that Sunday night match between Bordeaux and Marseille. Every year, the same question is asked: Will they overcome? Guys, was it, is it a curse? Is it you know just an ordinary record? I don't know, but it's Marseille haven't won in Bordeaux since 1977. Uh, Rich, what did you think of this match? Which uh, you know, apart from that stat, wasn't the most exciting. Uh, no, no, it wasn't great. <laughs> I think with with I mean we saw a lot of exciting matches over the weekend, so there seemed a little bit of an inevitability that this was going to be quite a drab game and that that's pretty much what it what it turned out to be uh, not particularly too many talking points maybe Bordeaux can feel um, a little bit more on the hard done by side um, they they hit the bar I think it was Basic with a absolute rocket uh, it, it took me by surprise so mm. heaven knows what it uh, what it did for Mondunda in the goal but they hit the bar. They forced Mondander in a couple of really good saves. They had a goal um, ruled out via VAR. And the more you look at it, the more you can you can argue either way. Uh, Mondander was caught out at his post from a from a corner, um, sort of punched the ball out, but straight into Pablo, who sort of reacted as best he could to try and get some part of his body to to control it into the goal and. It, it did hit his hand, but I mean, Mondondo was punching it clear and, and it was hitting Pablo with, you know, barely a yard's worth of notice. So it's as we've seen with VAR, anything involving mm. the hand in the in the penalty area, either penalty area is, is always going to be a contentious issue. We always see it in slow motion. We know that we ultimately we know the interpretation of the rules now, um, but still that that won't stop Bordeaux. What was perhaps. strange with this one is that. I mean, we could assume from the ball's movement that his hand had touched it, but no, none of the camera angles could actually show the contact. And 
I think that's maybe why some people were upset about it. Um, but I thought the game started actually, you know, we say it was kind of boring. I thought the first 20 minutes were quite entertaining. Um, and I was thinking, actually, this is one of those games where if there isn't a goal, we're going to reread it the other way around and and say that it wasn't that good. And obviously we were denied that goal in the first half. Um, I will say the second half was uh, far from uh, being very interesting. But Christian, one thing that we have that I noticed with Bordeaux hier and has been the case for several of their bigger fixtures um, from what I've seen of them this season is that around the 60th, 70th minute, you start seeing their players down with cramps. And this isn't a team that's playing that often. They don't have European competitions. Do we know why this is a problem for them? Is it something to do with the way they play? Or, you know, do they maybe have problems with physical preparation? I mean, there's no doubt that when Paolo Sousa came in, there became more of an emphasis on just being a bit more exigent off the ball. Uh, and you've seen with the young players he's tried to deploy. I think it's fair to say that someone like an Ed Lee or, or someone like a Josh Madger are not there from a kind of full development perspective to be consistently technically impressive yet. Mm. Um, and so he's tried to get change out of them through quite exigent pressing. I think one thing that probably is playing at the moment is the amount of tactical flexibility that, that Souza is showing game to game. He's had a real penchant for three at the back. Um, and obviously last night played with a back four. I thought Laurent Koscielny was very, very good. And I thought both goalkeepers were were great as well, actually, in terms of um in terms of in terms of the, the kind of overall output. But so yeah, I mean I think, you know, back to your point on on the fitness side of things, there is something mentally exhausting about having to adapt to a new formation and mm. the games did come fairly thick and fast in general. Obviously you mentioned that Bordeaux are now out of both cups, but it's not an enormous amount of time to transition to to a back four um, when you think that actually Souza has for the majority of the season so far played through at the back. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and guys, from for Marseille, again, it's another nil-nil after the one against uh, Angers last week, I believe. They tend to struggle against increasingly defensive teams, seeing as that you know Marseille being second now, People are alerted to how good they are this season. What kind of solutions can they find to to you know get around this problem? Uh, to be perfectly honest, I think they need to get Tovan back fully fit and playing. Mm. At the minute, it seems very much almost as it was about I think it was two seasons ago when everything was on Tovan. It was if Tovan wasn't scoring or producing the goods, Marseille weren't getting results. This season replace Tovan with Payet, and, and that's the position it feels as though Marseille are in. If Payet can't produce that moment of magic, be it a goal or, you know, uh, some amazing assist, I don't know where that creativity necessarily comes from, from, from Marseille. Benedetto is is looking increasingly isolated up front. Um, you know, Bounassar is not yeah. is not the answer to your, your, your issues on, on the right wing. Um, you know, the likes of Rongier, the likes of Morgan Sanson, they're not as creative um from a from a from a you know dynamic point of view going forward as Marseille need them to be to to help out Dimitri Payet. And Payet's le- being left pretty much on his own to try and produce these moments. And 
for the majority of this season, he's been able to do that. However, you know, the last couple of matches and certainly last night's match is a perfect example of if Payet's not on his game, Marseille don't really look like much of a threat. And I think Mo was 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 tweeting during the match saying, you know, it doesn't seem as though Marseille have much of an idea if if that sort of plan A of, mm. of give it to Payet isn't working. They don't really have a backup plan. And that, that to me, was pretty evident last night. And equally... Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Pippo. I just add to that. Please, I yeah. think Benedetto is a case that's kind of going unspoken of somewhat. But, I mean, this is a man who scored twice in his last mm. 12 league games. Um, and I think also a little bit more on, on, on Rich's point, too. The 4-3-3 setup is fundamentally you know, quite defensive in the way in which Vier Spurs plays it. You know, you have a you have a clear, you know, a player in Bubakar Kamara who's obviously a young central defender being played as a defensive midfielder this season by Vier Spurs, who is just not particularly particularly technically um uh, good at good in the pass and and then also doesn't really have much of a desire to venture forward. And mm. this is a team that did well in I think in the early going of this season because Vierge-Boas set them up to take advantage of other sides' mistakes. I remember a game uh, where Marseille went to, I think it was the Alliance Riviera, and Nice outplayed them for the first half very, very early on in the season, I think maybe the fourth or fifth game. Um, but, you know, they took advantage of a couple of mistakes, Danch, and, and uh, I believe there's a goalkeeping error there as well. And, you know, they were very well prepared to go ahead and take advantage of, of mistakes. So, He's built a team, I think, that's fundamentally reactive. And as both of you are saying, now that teams are sort of respecting this Marseille, the second-place Marseille, they're, they're less adventurous. Uh, Bordeaux, at times, really did have two banks of four in, uh, you know, out of possession yesterday. And therefore, it's a completely different ball game where you have to have creativity that isn't purely reactive it's not reacting to mistakes made and this isn't surprising but it's it's a difficult one to overcome Marseille haven't been able to reinforce in the attacking areas because frankly they don't have the money to well they have the money to do it but they can't do it owing to the deal they've made with UEFA and their FFP infringements and then the two attacking players that you feel like could add something in the second half of this season is, is, is Florian Tovin. Tovin has just undergone now another surgery. Initially it was believed he would be coming back at the beginning of this month. Now Vierge said in a press conference on Friday it's likely to be maybe even the middle of March. You know at that point he's well he's got six 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 seven weeks left of the entire season and then yeah. the other guy is 17 year old Isaac Lihaj um, who has basically been banished from first team proceedings owing to the fact that he's refused to sign a professional contract um, very exciting right winger that uh, I think the entirety of Europe is, is going to be pursuing quite heavily on a pre-contract basis in the next few months so yeah it's a tricky one and I, don't, I, I think logically a slide is is quite possibly impending here yeah, I, I agree. And a few months ago, when Marseille were really at the peak of their form, we did observe that they were overperforming relative to the number of chances they would obtain. And that, you know, if they weren't scoring all of their chances, then they would be, they wouldn't really have enough to to keep on winning. And maybe it seems that that trend has caught up with them at the moment. Also, with 
with regards to what you were saying about Wuppercal Kamara, um, it was quite striking yesterday how there was a sort of schism between him and the other two midfielders, and, and they played really far apart. They, Rongier and Sancion were up ahead, and neither of them was really coming back to get the ball from Kamara. Kamara wasn't very adventurous himself, as, as you rightly said, Christian. Um, and certainly, you know, that's something they're going to have to work on. On Wednesday, Marseille play at Saint-Étienne. So we'll get to Saint-Étienne's match in a little bit. But um, do you expect difficulty for Marseille from this one? Um, well, I think what, what's interesting is the last so the last two league games for Marseille have been pretty, pretty to very underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, they were coming again up against an Angers who who are Angers, you know they they do what they do and they they do it very well. They then come against come up against a Bordeaux who are you know there or thereabouts what you would expect from Bordeaux. And then on the Wednesday they, they'll be um, facing the Saint-Étienne side who are they're doing really badly this season. I mean, as you say, we'll come on to their, their mm. result from the weekend in a moment. But suffice to say that things, it's worrying times, I think, at Saint-Étienne at the moment. So there's going to be an expectation that there needs to be a reaction. You know, they've, they've dropped these four points over two games that, to be perfectly honest, they probably would have been expected to pick up a minimum of four points, maybe even with the way that, that you know, things have been going, like they could have foreseen two wins from those two games. But all of a sudden, I think, to, to stop that slide, there needs to be a reaction. Now, whether Villas-Boas is able to get that from his players, it remains to be seen. I mean, Saint-Étienne are not the most um, sort of threatening, shall I say, in, in, in terms of going forward. Um, but you just never know. I mean, that, I think mm. that's... We were talking about it just before recording, how... how Anybody seems to be able to be beating you. There, there is the obvious exception, but at the minute, there seems to be this feeling of anybody can sort of beat anybody and anybody can get a result. So on paper, you would say, well, yes, yeah, Saint-Étienne are a bit of a problem at the minute. Marseille are, despite the last two results, riding high this season, but you couldn't bet against Saint-Étienne getting a result against them. So it's not going to be an easy game for Marseille, but it's one that they desperately, I think, need to get that result to stop this this mini slide becoming something more concerning. Let's move on then to uh, Stade René, who had a an incredible week, Rich, <laughs> off the back <laughs> of that mad 5-4 win in, in the French Cup. They got another crazy win back on Friday against, you know, their biggest rivals. Um, yeah, it was, it was quite a match. It really was. I mean, there was... You know, a lot of there's always a lot of build up to these games. They are um, for those outside of France. It is a very fierce rivalry. There's a lot of of animosity that goes on between the two and sort of nitpicking against each other. Um, so coming into this game, especially after Nantes won the the reverse fixture fixture earlier in the season, Ren obviously in good form at the moment. Um, one defeat in in eight prior to this match. Um, so there was a feeling, actually, you know what, they can build on on what they've done to sort of build up this sort of mini gap that they've got in in third place over fourth spot. Um, so in typical Ren fashion, of course, they do end up going behind. It's a scrappy <laughs> goal. Um, but they managed to get an equaliser. And just when you think, OK, things are a little bit more settled, there's a fairly latish 
Uh, second goal for Nantes. It was a very well-taken goal from, from Simon. And then then it really went all hell, hell broke loose because, I mean, through various incidents throughout the game, goals, substitutions, uh, a few injuries, there was, I think, seven minutes added time. So in uh, 95th minute, I think it was, 94th, 95th minute, Benjamin Borjeau pops up. He, got in, he managed to grab the equaliser. Stadium erupts. Great. We've rescued a point against our big rivals. Let's move on. But Wren weren't quite finished. Uh, 97th minute then went on the attack again. Neon managed to find some space. Got in the shot. Um, it, it was pushed out by Lafon. And Rafinha put it away. Immediately flagged us offside. I, you know, I'm an ardent Ren fan, but I could see, yeah, that's that's clear as day offside. Okay, we'll fit, we'll we'll take two all here. Then there's a then there's a sort of slight delay, and then you realise, oh, actually, there's a VR VAR check going on here. The replays so far had shown, yeah, it's offside. However, the replays then show even further, and they'll see that there's a non-player down on the floor, the other the other side of the penalty area. And it's the old. We've seen it numerous times with VAR, where the it's you know it's the big toe that's kept someone onside or put someone offside. And unfortunately for Nantes, it had managed to keep Rafinha on. Goal was given, and I mean you can go back and watch the highlights of Julian Stefan doing a Mourinho down the the side of the pitch. <laughs> I mean some some of the celebrations. If I was to be trying to be as, as impartial as possible. Some of the celebrations were perhaps a little bit over the top. Um, Sasha Bowie and, and Kamavinga, who'd gone off at this point, they, they ran onto the pitch and were celebrated. It hadn't full, full-time whistle hadn't gone. They'd shown the yellow card. So it, was, it got a little bit tetchy towards the end, but massive three points. Um, it, it opens up that gap. Uh, or maintains that gap and 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 keeps the pressure on Marseille. So, you know, whilst they've got third, we're now only three points behind mm. Marseille. So, with the you know the last couple of games that Marseille have done, it's given that sort of actually it's, it's second place up for grabs here. And and so it's it's full of <laughs> you know really really good optimism at, at Ren at the moment. Um, it's it's nervy, you know. To have what do you think the, of, the of Rafinha, who scored two goals? And as... Yeah, I mean, he's he's slowly, I think, starting to come good. I mean, it took him a while to get register his first goal, and he was a little bit rusty, understandably, when he 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 sort of first made his appearance. But gradually, his influence is starting to become more and more important to the way Ren play. You know, he is that outlet on the wing. Ren, over the last few seasons, have always seemingly had an outlet on the wing. You know, if it's Ismail Assar, if it goes back a little bit further to. Usman Dembele, if it goes even further back, it's Paul George and Tep. They've had this outlet on the wing. And Rafinha seems to be the sort of next incarnation to take that role. So it's really good to see him start to, to put together these level of performances on a consistent basis. Mm. Um, I think all Rem fans now just want to keep it up. But he's starting, I think, to find his feet. And I think he's, he is looking at the dangerous prospect that we were all told he would be. Both of his goals came from shots being kind of deflected, not deflected, but saved by Alban Lafont and, and kind of pushed back into play and he came and scored the rebound. Christian, it's been a bit of a bittersweet season for Lafont since his return to Liga in the summer. Um, 
you know, this wasn't his greatest match, and, and there's been a few other occasions where it's kind of felt like this, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely, Pierre Paul. Apologies there, just some, some issues on my end. No problem. I think, I mean, when Alban Lafont came through at Toulouse, um, as a, you know, as a, as a teenager, there was already a ridiculous amount, even by <laughs> Ligue 1 standards, of, of hype around just such an incredibly young player. And Toulouse basically decided to cash in very early in his development, selling him obviously to Fiorentina. Didn't work. Didn't work out. Now he's back here. I think he started the campaign quite well. I remember a, a very good performance uh, at the Group Armor Stadium, uh, where he was just just unbeatable. It was at the kind of height of the non sort of sitting in third, second, third position at the very beginning of the season, and and uh, Silvino's uh, Lyon at their absolute worst, but. Look, I, I think it's it's the one position in European football today where you are very hard pressed to find consistently brilliant goalkeepers under the age of twenty five, um, and I think there are many reasons for that. But to keep it brief for the sake of this, ultimately, you as a goalkeeper are exposed to so many different types of scenarios, so many more different types of scenarios than I think you probably are as any other player on the pitch of such a high level of significance. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, naturally, the ability for you to kind of grow on the job is much more scrutinized. And where we may ignore two or three difficult months for a, uh, someone like uh, Ryan Aydnouri at, at, at Angers, who I don't think has had a particularly great season, to be honest. Um, and obviously, unfortunately, he, uh, he he fractures his jaw recently yeah. well in his return. Um, every mistake, and, and Lafont is, is just 21, every mistake is magnified because that is the position you play in. Now, you know, it's not great for Nantes. I think you can say that he maybe has cost them maybe five, six points so far this season. But the payoff of him going through those difficult moments for France in maybe four, five, six years is definitely, you know, the upside is is very considerable. At this age, for a goalkeeper, it's all about having as many difficult, frankly, experiences as possible and showing that you have that mental strength to come back and to then, you know, the following month put in three or four excellent performances. And and, and that is just part of the ebb and flow of what Lafont will experience for at least another half decade. No, yeah, you're right to point that out. He is still only 21. Um, and uh, we should, yeah, goalkeepers do develop at a kind of later age you know certainly reach their their peak at a, at a later age than a lot of other players um these days um and he's got he's got time ahead of him that's one thing sure. one, one, one thing that the Ren fans have been quick to um take hold of and, and thoroughly enjoy is sadly for Lafont, this isn't even the first time that he's conceded two injury time goals to to see a result turn around against Wren, because oh, no. it, ha it, ha it happened for him when he was playing for Toulouse back in, I think it was 2016, and there was two goals scored in, I think, about the 93rd and 95th minute, which turned around a 1-0 lead to Toulouse into a 2-1 defeat. So he's uh, he's probably at some point going to be wanting to see the back of Wren, I think. I don't even know how you guys remember this. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, right then, let's move to some... 
uh, I don't know what the word for the, for this is is going to be, entertainment, uh, drama maybe, over in Paris uh, with a, you know, on the pitch, five nil win for for PSG against Montpellier, uh, pretty routine stuff, albeit against a, a usually quite solid team, uh, but really the talk of the town was about separate incidents. Shall we start with Neymar? That. <laughs> What happens well, when you <laughs> criticize Neymar or foul I, him too I much? I think this is actually important, Pierre Paul, because it's yep. been grossly uh, misreported in the uh, UK press from from what I've seen about oh, okay. how, how Neymar gets this yellow card at the end of the first half. Yeah, because uh, many many are claiming uh, today. I saw that the referee somehow books him for doing the Rabona flick in the uh, far left hand side corner of the pitch. That's absolutely not what happens. The referee does have a word with him, saying, "Please be respectful." Then Neymar gets angry at the referee, and the referee proceeds to book him for dissent. Um, and that sort of nuance, I think, has been lost. Uh, but hey, we we continue to we continue our battle against the. Uh, and actually, there's another point similar to that one, Christian, because yeah. it, it was kind of doing the rounds that the referee had asked Neymar to speak in French, which is also untrue because the video. I mean, they they you know Neymar's kind of yelling at him in Portuguese, saying I don't know what. Yeah. And and what the referee actually tells him is to be patient. This is at halftime in the tunnel and so on, and and you know Neymar kind of answers rudely again to that but you know according to the portuguese uh speaking people i consulted for this one it was it was nothing to do with speaking french it was just uh, the referee trying to get him to be patient apparently um yeah and then obviously there was also the incidents with uh well you know there was the kind of uh revenge against andy dolor who had tried to teach neymar respect or something like that at the last confrontation uh, yeah about 10 minutes in, Neymar took the ball back to his own half to nutmeg Delors. Um, <laughs> which it's so petty, isn't it? But I don't know. It's just the things he does. Um, and there were a lot of similar incidents with Savagné and so on, where he just dribbled them uh, as revenge for being uh, fouled. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it, it is something that, that Neymar... Neymar takes everything it, yeah. quite personally on the pitch. Mm-hmm. And where he can exact revenge through humiliating his opponent, he does. I remember a, an example at the Parc des Princes. It's against Strasbourg. And it's against a player who now is actually gone on loan uh, somewhere in North Africa. Zemzemi uh, was a midfielder for Strasbourg. Oh, right, and yeah. there's, there's a period of play where Zemzemi kicks, hacks at Neymar's shin, I think, three, four times. Neymar doesn't go down. Eventually, Neymar goes down. You know, they, they come they come face to face, referee gives a free kick. And then <laughs> and it, only Neymar. Five seconds later, he's done again this Rabona flick over Zemzemi's head, and Zemzemi is on the floor, uh, having lost his footing, and Neymar's just kind of drilled past three Strasbourg players, you know, towards the penalty area. Um so it, it no, it is it is part of his game. And to be fair to Andy Delors, um he 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 took it quite well in the mix zone afterwards. He was sort of saying, Yeah, yeah. you know, I got I got I got nutmegged and <laughs> and so be it. I, I think the you know I, I don't think really any anger whatsoever should be directed towards Neymar for for what happened on pitch uh, this weekend. I think 
well, we may come on to, to the other superstar who cost more than 200 million euros who, who, who did do something that I think is, is, can be seen as particularly disrespectful. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long age debate about whether the way in which Neymar plays with all these skills as if he's sort of on FIFA street or something is disrespectful mm. in, in top five league football. I would say, you know what, it's entertaining and sure it might annoy the kind of traditional football fans who love the tactical side or whatever. But Neymar has undisputably, you know, brought in a new set of fans into Ligue 1. And we should be happy about that. You know, anyone who's doing that, um, we should applaud. And therefore, if it is, you know, a couple of gifts or whatever that go viral uh, a weekend, you know, we should we should all be be happy about that because it brings more people to the sport. Yeah, and I, I agree. It's not. I don't think it's disrespectful of him to do that. But I, in my opinion, you know, as as a defender who doesn't really tolerate nonsense, I completely understand the urge to uh, foul him, to say it politely, uh, possibly kick him if that does happen to you. And you know, I think he shouldn't really have any complaints about that because in any case, if he does get kicked, there's a referee there to award compensation in the form of a free kick. Yeah. Um, so, you know, their justice is, is done in a way. Uh, would you like to tell us about the other superstar who uh, brought trouble upon himself? Yeah, just before, I do want to touch on the fact sure. that Neymar decided to have a birthday party um, two days before a Ligue 1 fixture. Um, Which he's not playing was, in. Yeah. This was, so this was Sunday evening uh, for his, his 28th. And initially it had been reported that he was going to have a very quiet dinner with just a few friends. Um, and, you know, then it emerges a week before that he's got this sort of white, uh, you know, all, all white dress code event in, in one of Paris's most notorious nightclubs. And not only that, but he's invited the entirety of the PSG staff to come with him. Um, it, it's just, you know, you cannot sit there in interviews and say that you are working for PSG to be respected. You want the team to be in as good a condition and, and, and as good a position as possible to go ahead and win the Champions League this season and everything else and be super, super professional and say that you've turned a page after your antics over the summer trying to force a move away and then act in a way so publicly that is just clearly going to invite negative press coverage and the ire of fans not only in Paris but across Europe I have nothing you know I, I don't think we should have any say in in these guys private lives mm. whatsoever and I, I think the media really there is no place for the media to be involved in things like that but Neymar is not stupid and he knows that he knows the reality of the press today and he knows what making a decision like that is going to do to the news cycle. Um, it wasn't helped by the fact that initially RMC reported today, I saw that he had been rested for this game against Nantes, leading everyone to speculate what had happened on his night out um, yesterday evening. I mean, it now emerges that he's got some minor rib problem, but he says on his official site now that he'll be back for the weekend against Lyon. You know, all of this is just completely unnecessary. And, you know, this is, this is a 28-year-old man. Um, who just just frankly is not helping his cause if he's seeking to make a move next summer, nor is he helping PSG's cause in trying to be uh, respected and, and, and also professional. Um, sorry, I just wanted to get that off my chest. <laughs> the, no, no. The, the, 
the other the other um, yeah, source of controversy, which everybody has seen, of course, was that Kylian Mbappe reacted very, very badly to being substituted off with about 15 minutes to go in this game at the Parc des Princes on Saturday afternoon. You know, the game is clearly won. Mbappe has his goal. And this is not the first time that he's reacted very publicly, disrespectfully, frankly, to the decisions made by Thomas Tuchel and his uh, coaching staff. Mm-hmm refusing again to speak to Tuchel, trying to refuse to speak to Tuchel when he came off the pitch on Saturday. He actually did exactly the same thing in the reverse league fixture, which played out in December at the Mosson. Um, and that was arguably worse. He was he was actively sort of pushing Tuchel away. The guys actually in our piece in The Guardian today cover it quite well. Um this, it, it's just quite a sad development for France in general because the thing that was so exciting about Mbappe when he broke onto the scene at Monaco was he was this insanely talented once-in-a-generation player who had a just exemplary personality who could maybe start to shift the narrative about how footballers are perceived because the media loves to pick up on everything negative or you know mischievous that a player does who's earning a lot of money in his career. It's a very easy thing to do. But here in Mbappe, we seem to have a kid who was not going to be distracted by all those things and was going to continue to evince just hard work and respect and just this insane work ethic that could inspire anyone in any line of you know fun sport work whatever to go and do better be better and also finally get rid of that kind of face of french football as a bunch of i guess the word is sort of miscreants you know that we dealt with in 99 2010 with the um, french national team refusing to get off the bus at the south african world cup to you know, Griezmann, Ben Yedda, uh, and Mvia going out uh, in the France under-21s and being banned for several years from playing for the national team. Patrice Evra being Patrice Evra. Um, and, and, and just incidents of, 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 of disrespect so publicly like that, to me, really smells. And, and what I mean by that is this is an insanely intelligent person. Everyone around him is very clear on that, that this is someone who's, who's incredibly intelligent. It's why he's got to where he's got to so quickly, in my view, um, in part in the in-game intelligence side of things, but also because he's just so bankable and marketable in a way that where other teenage, young French prospects uh, were on the cusp of a breakout season, had a breakout season, but then the first big contract comes with it, and then several private life mistakes happen that make him you know, less bankable and less of a kind of potential to be a superstar. I, I actually, sadly, Rich, maybe you'll disagree with this, but I think Ousmane Dembele has experienced that um, versus this this guy who's, who's, who's really just doing everything right. And so that's, I think, the really the bigger point about all this. And, and the but, idea that, you know, around the 2018 World Cup, you could sit at a, a kitchen table in France and this was a, a footballer that, parents and children respected and loved in equal measure and i'm wondering whether that's still going to be the case in two three four months time there is a tension there with his role as a as a forward and as a striker because all strikers and and all attacking players especially the very best like himself have ego it's just a part of 
the way they play and you know the the personality you need to have to be that kind of uh you know determined by goal and 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 obnubilated by the need to to pad your stats and 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 keep making yourself a bigger and bigger star on the pitch which you can only do on the pitch and while i don't defend the fact that you know he's he kind of wasn't happy with his manager's decision which he should have respected i can't i think you know to for us to expect for him to be a kind of uh, perfect new model of of what a footballer is, is is difficult because it's it's so hard for someone with his role on football pitch to uh not have that side um but anyways yeah, no, no. I mean, I, and I, I t- definitely take that on board. And, and he has an impossible task. I think the hope yeah. maybe naively in France was that he was going to be, you know, that, as you say, that next sort of generation of player who can, you know, basically deal with all the me- media scrutiny that's getting even more and more intense. I would say that there's just a demeanor thing that has changed. And and I think your points raised about, you know, constantly well, wanting to... to, to ha- sort of... Has it really changed? Because, I yeah. mean, personally, I thought during the World Cup... I was getting a little bit annoyed with him because of excessive dribbling and uh, uh, and yeah. you know no, lack but, of defensive yeah. effort. But it's I think it's been coming. I think at the World Cup he was definitely not exemplary. But there was this. You know, do you remember when Monaco broke broke out and they had that knockout? Those those series of knockout games in the Champions League made it to the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was this sort of like boundless energy and enthusiasm, like you know, just just running after. Uh, balls non-stop and, and just this kind of relentless pursuit in a happy way and it's it's been replaced by this this frustration and, and I think the thing that stands out to me in his uh, of recently things that he said is that he was quite disappointed when he realized he was on for the uh, top scorer in Europe's top five leagues of the calendar, li- calendar year last year you know he's very close to mm. Messi and he missed out by a couple of goals in the end uh, he was quite disappointed not to make that. And I, I, I do think he's relentlessly goal-driven. And it could very well be that, that this is another goal that he has for this year, which he feels is attainable at PSG because, let's be honest, of the slightly weaker level and, and the tendency for teams to just uh, split you know, split in two when they arrive at the Parc des Princes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a fascinating debate and it will roll on for his entire career, uh, no doubt. I think just... just... To add very briefly my, my mm-hmm. two cents with, I think one thing that, that I've been intrigued by, and it, it may be a case of I'm reading too much into things, so apologies in advance to anybody if that proves to be the case, but there seems to be a bit of a charm offensive going on. I mean, we take it back to um, the UNFP awards and his comments that were made there, which were widely picked up and, and broadcasted about his, whether he was truly happy at PSG, was it a sign that he was possibly going to look at a, at a new challenge? Um, we've had Neymar regaining his fitness and coming back in and playing very well, and we've then had the sort of the charm offensive of of you know look at what great pals Neymar and Mbappe are. There's photos of them together socialising. There's comments on each other's Instagram posts and this, that, and the other. We've then had. Um, you know, very recently we've had the the interview in English um, with with BBC, where he was obviously talking in sort of glowing terms regarding Liverpool. And at the back of our mind, obviously, we're aware that come the summer, there's going to be interest in him. Obviously, 
he's he's long been touted with the move to to Real Madrid. The desire for him to to move to Anfield by by Liverpool fans, seeing them with their sort of newfound status as as the biggest team in England, let's capitalise on it. It all to me feels very much like we have seen with a lot of other players at clubs such as Barcelona and Real Madrid, where their big players are openly flirting, if you like, with these other teams. Now, maybe it's with regards to some kind of new contract. Possibly it's, it's you know, it may very well turn out to be more transparent than that. And he is actually, you know, sort of trying to, to sort of put himself into the shop window. But for me, it seems there's some, as I say, I'm a, this is how I'm reading it. There's some quite calculated moves going on with regards to how Mbappe is playing the media and portraying his role at PSG, that he he is this goal-getter and fantastic player, but yeah. almost sort of teasing PSG that at the at any moment he could decide, actually, you know what, I'm bigger than this club and I want to, you know, to, to take on the likes of Real Madrid or, or Liverpool. So I think how that plays out as well, I'm going to be very, very interested to see what happens. Uh, I, I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, when I, when I said earlier that, Everything he does, he means to do, and there's thought behind it. I think is is definitely true. I mean, we had we're lucky to have uh, Julien Julien Laurence on the uh, podcast last week, and he said you know, there's no doubt that, that Mbappe will not be spending his entire career at Paris Saint Germain. The issue that he's going to have, much like the issue that Neymar had last summer, and the issue that Paul Pogba had last summer, is that we have reached essentially a zero sum game now with transfer fees, where Actually, owing to FFP, teams cannot do more than what Paris Saint-Germain did to pay 200 million euros for Mbappé or 222 million euros for Neymar, unless these are the only, it's the only player they sign for about 12 to 18 months. And the amount of planning that is required just financially from any of Europe's elite now in order for that to be a viable operation is ginormous and and I'm not sure teams are necessarily ready uh to be able to do that so you know it's it's one for when we get into a position with his contract where we're sort of in the 18 month period if he still hasn't signed a new deal then I think it comes in play otherwise I just I just not convinced it's financially viable uh, a departure Hmm. lots more to follow there over the next few years (laughs) Um, I, before we move on, I do want to mention the third and possibly biggest scandal from this match. Uh, last week in the Coupe de France, Montpellier's starting goalkeeper, Jeronimo Rulli, was sent off for charging out of his box and, and stopping the opposition strike on a one-on-one by handballing uh, the ball outside of his own box. Against PSG, substitute goalkeeper, uh, what was his name here, Dimitri Berthaud, did the exact same thing and got sent off as well, which is just unbelievable. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know what rules <laughs> they train with down there, but you, you just can't do that. And to see both goalkeepers make the same mistake in one week was nuts. Um, so they had to finish the game with uh, third goalkeeper, Matisse Carvalho, in goal. And uh, they also had another red card against PSG uh, for Joris Chotard. So uh, quite a rough week for... Montpellier. In PSG news as well, Abdou Diallo was announced today to be injured for three to four weeks, so he'll be missing uh, the first leg against Dortmund at the very least. Uh, PSG go to Nantes 
in the league uh, later this week. Uh, we should have mentioned earlier, by the way, that Lille, uh, that Rennes were going to Lille, which is quite an exciting match. That's on on Tuesday. Uh, let's move forwards for towards Metz Saint Etienne, three one win for Metz. Uh, now, Rich, the other day on the preview show, they talked quite a long time about about William Saliba and how he had this great record this season of you know never losing with Saint Etienne. That is gone after this match. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was it wasn't a good day at the office for for Saint Etienne. Um, if I'm being picky, I'd probably point to it wasn't a great match for for Saliba himself. Um, just prior to the third goal, he horribly misjudged um, a, a ball over the top, played a very short back pass, could have quite easily uh, led to, to a Mets goal. Um, an error did follow uh, shortly after, another error shortly followed after, where again he seemed caught out by by a long ball, failing to control it. Um, missed, the, missed the sort of follow-up challenge and then was completely done for for pace and that did lead to to a Mets goal and that was the the third goal um ultimately 3-1 win for, for Mets over Saint-Étienne uh represents a, a great result for Mets but a, a pretty miserable night for Saint-Étienne who you know their season continues to be full of these weird and wonderful ways of of failing to live up to the the expectations that we seem to have put upon Saint-Étienne over the last, last few seasons they've They've really struggled this season. They did not look at all comfortable um, in in the game on Sunday. Uh, I mean, the Hamuma goal was very much a consolation goal. And I mean, to be perfectly frank, I don't think they barely deserved that. But I think there's a lot of question marks to be be asked of Saint-Étienne. I think for all the question marks that we've thrown on other teams, it's important, perhaps important is the wrong word, but it's, it's to be noted, I think, that... Saint-Étienne, it feels, have by and large escaped criticism um, to the degree that you, you feel as though they should face. I mean, we've we've picked up on, you know, some deficiencies with Marseille, for example, but ultimately Marseille have found a way to, to have those deficiencies but still grind out results. I think the Saint-Étienne side that we've seen this season, um, it feels a callback to, to the days where they were relying solely on their defence. And unfortunately for them, their defence hasn't been perhaps as watertight. Maybe if they'd have had Saliba all season, um, you know, this very much was was just an off day at the office for him. If they'd have had Saliba all season, maybe we'd, we'd be having a different conversation. But when they when they are a team that don't provide much, particularly going forward, you know, Wabi Kasri is an absolute shadow of the player that perhaps Santetien thought they were getting uh, when they snapped him up. Um, from Sunderland away from Rennes um, then they have to have a watertight defence and they've just not had it this season um, and, and that's that's the problem But and that's very much an issue that especially the attack situation is very much a, a sort of recurring theme with, with Saint-Étienne but you know you go back to the Christophe Galtier days they, they always had that really solid defence that would get them out of sticky situations time and time again but to be perfectly honest, they were completely bulldozed by by Mets on on Sunday, and and three one was the least that Mets deserved. And Christian, you were sharing some nice insight on Mets with us before the show. Yeah, I think what they're doing is obviously going under the radar somewhat because they are just 
sort of in that bottom five milling around there. Um, but I think they've had a great transfer window. I think Dylan Bron um, coming in for around four million euros represents excellent value, and and he slotted he slotted in there alongside John Boy pretty instantly, um, and 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 to great effect. And Vincent Pajot, um, Jez will tell you that you know he was very underwhelmed by the signing of Pajot, who's been a sort of career Ligue 1 uh, player, just sort of middling in teams like Saint Etienne, Angers. Um, but he's he's joined uh, from from Angers on loan, and he's just fitted absolutely fantastically well. Uh, also noticeable on the weekend was uh, Kevin and Durham's performance. Uh, I thought he really held things together well. I mean, it wasn't particularly difficult when you're facing off against the, uh, Johan Kabay, who I have to say <laughs> the real shadow of his former self. Uh, but, um, you know, this is a man who's had a d- deeply traumatic uh, season in Endorum, who obviously crashed the car that has left his fellow teammate, teammate mm-hmm. Manuel Kabit, without uh, being able to walk and, and still without feeling in his legs. So yeah, and, and I know I know that Endorum took it took it terribly, uh, as as anyone would in that shocking situation. And to be back in in sort of contention, uh, to play football two months after the incident, let alone play and start in 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 a game that I think Mets would have felt would be a a pretty important game, a pretty a pretty winnable game. I, I think back on Saint Etienne, Claude Puel really has to be questioned now. You know, building on what Rich is saying. It felt like they had maybe turned the corner in their previous two matches. They beat mm. Nîmes two one in the in the league, and, and they beat Monaco, not Monaco, at the cup at the Stade Louis II. And in both of those games, they had the uh, centre back partnership of Saliba and, and uh, Fofana. Uh, you know, two eighteen, well, an eighteen and a nineteen year old, and they both perf- they performed excellently well together. And there was just a, just a fantastic sense of chemistry between the two of them. Now, I understand that managing the case of Loic Perrin, who is the captain, father figure, all-seeing eye, you know, the man who's been at Saint-Etienne for the entirety of his career, as a centre-back, is probably a tricky issue when you're the manager of a club like Saint-Etienne, as, as Claude Puel is. But, you know, we can all agree on this on this podcast that the last 18 months and the, the, the decline of Perrin, both in pace, in physicality, has been just really sad to see, but also... When you're in such a critical moment and and you need to turn the corner and you're going away to Mets, which is a which is certainly a game that is, you know, anyone's game at that point, to 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 change the back two in favor of bringing Perrin back in, um, just 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 I don't I didn't understand it at all I didn't mm-hmm. understand it at all, and and also I mentioned Fabi Diallo who was obviously very briefly linked to Chelsea in January has been absolutely you know, exceptional for Mets. Just, uh, I can't remember the exact percentage, but I think he's responsible either through an assist or a goal for the majority of Mets' goals so far this season. I need to double check that. I think it's a, it's oscillating around the 50% mark. Um, is one of the rare cases in the last three, four years of a striker who, who does incredibly well in Ligue 2 and immediately transforms that form uh, in, in a Ligue 1 setting and well on his way now, in, in my view, to to maybe even 20 goals by the end of the campaign. Mm. And I heard last night during the the Bordeaux match that uh, the Marseille Bordeaux match that um, so Saliba has lost his his record now as as of not having lost a single match this season, but Alvaro Gonzalez has yet to lose a game with Marseille. So 
Maybe he'll be getting a 30 million transfer to the Premier League one of these days. Who knows? He's got a very good elbow <laughs> on it. He's got a good what? Elbow. I don't know if you guys oh, wow. in, the, in the latest uh, Olympique. Uh, yeah, yeah I, that's what I've noticed of him in Ligue 1 so far. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but uh, <laughs> I, the, the draw is still out on that one. I, I'll keep an eye open on that for sure. Yeah. Um, moving on to uh, the question of what the hell was he thinking for the fourth time today? Nîmes Monaco. Guys, what did Jocelyn Fernandez do? Martins. <laughs> Justin Martins, sorry, I miswrote that. Jeez. No, but that, that's understandable. Yeah, uh, I get confused. Someone did to Rich's heart, <laughs> Justin Fernandez. <laughs> 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 Nobody wants to tackle um, it. <laughs> it well, I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, <laughs> um, to, well, the, the short answer is I don't have a clue what was going through his mind. Uh, the, the, the longer answer is to, to try and put, put a bit of analysis around it is... Bakayoko picked up a red card. It, it was a it was a nasty tackle. It went to initially it wasn't shown as a red. It went to VAR. Was shown as a red. I don't really think there's particularly many complaints from anybody about that. But certain Monaco players and, and Joseph Martins was was leading the charge on that regard. Seemed to take quite offence to that and decided to. Get a little bit hands on with the referee, shall we say? It's not. It wasn't sort of the Paolo Di Canio levels of of pushing, but it was you know hands were there, a bit of a you know a bit of a, a bit of force behind it to give him a a nudge, shall we say? Was clearly over the top. Was understandably and rightfully shown a red card for 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 that. You can't put your hands on anybody on the football, let alone the referee. And then he decides, well, if I'm going off, I might as well make it count. So goes back for some seconds and decides he's <laughs> gonna he's gonna push the referee a little bit more. And I think actually this one was with a little bit more fall. You know, there was a little a little stag um, from uh, from the referee. I mean, not Paul Alcock levels against pa- Paolo Di Canio, but there was a little stumble from the referee, and you know everybody was reacting as sort of, oh my God, what's he done? Monaco <laughs> players were trying to sort of take Jelson Martins to one side and sort of get him off the pitch, you know, pretend it never happened kind of thing. But ultimately, he's going to face, um, you know, a pretty hefty sanction, um, I would imagine. I would, you know, I would think you're looking at... I think if, if you know, if the, if the LFP go through with the severest, uh, you know, the most severe punishment he could get, where I think... I think we um, we put it out on the Twitter. Months, it could I potentially think, yeah. be up to six months. Yeah, yeah. but it, I, I mean, I don't, I don't imagine it would. I, I mean, who knows with the LFP? But I, I wouldn't imagine we're looking at something of that length. But it's gonna. He's gonna be facing multiple games, um, uh, uh, in terms of a ban. Um, but it, mean, it was just uh, you know, as you say, it was just what. What the, what the hell was he doing? I, I've, I, I've no, as I said at the start of this ramble, I have no idea what he was thinking, but it was ridiculous. Leonardo was suspended nine months a few years ago when he kind of bump. It was it wasn't. I don't. Even, I still not convinced that was a push, but it was definitely a bump into the referee's back. Um, uh, and obviously he was then sporting director of PSG and. I think he left following that incident just because they were he was so angry at French footballing authorities. But nine months is definitely the record on on that kind of incident. Um, yeah, it's 
yeah, it's it's going to have to be clamped down on. As I say, I'm not. It's difficult to say. I'm not entirely sure. It sounds silly to be saying. I'm not entirely sure there was enough on the shove to see him face the most severe of sanctions. But you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if something like a you know a ten game ban comes out for him. Yeah. Well, I think the the fact that he goes back and does it again and even harder looks really bad on on him. But yeah, a, a nine-man Monaco for almost an hour. Even Nîmes could beat that, and they did three-one. Uh, there was a very nice goal from Romain Filippotto, I think it was. Uh, that mm. was the second Nîmes goal. And Nice Lyon on Sunday, a victory for Nice two-one, who got the revenge from over Lyon, uh, who knocked them out of the cup just a few days before. Some more red cards in this one <laughs> for. Uh, <laughs> It was Marcel and Unas. But really the one who got away from me was Marcelo, who picked up Unas <laughs> but using his shirt like a like a lioness picks up her cub by the, the scruff of the neck and put him on his feet. And somehow all that got him was a yellow card. But um, yeah, it, it, it was kind of mad in that one too. That started a big fight. Uh, and Unas got uh, sent off after that whole thing, actually. Um, Kasper Dolberg scored two goals for Nice, and he's certainly, uh, you know, he looks good when he's scoring. He's, he's good movement. Yeah, um, they're, they're, they're real, real poachers goals. I mean, the first one was yeah. from a from a um, a push out from from Tatrasano. Uh, the second one, it, it's worth watching. The second one actually, just for as you say, his movements. The way he sort of moves, you know, he takes the ball, well, he moves off the ball forwards. But, I mean, Marcelo doesn't know where to go. But but Dolberg's movement off the ball to to find that space and, and leave Marcelo for dust, it's, um, you know, it's 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 really good movement. Um, and just what I think Nice will, will be wanting to see and, and continue to see more of. Right, let me go quickly through some of the other results. Um Amiens played Toulouse, and that was a pretty big game at the bottom. Uh, what, 18th and 19th in the league, I believe? Uh, no, 18th and 20th, sorry. Um, and it was tense. Nobody really made a move, finished nil-nil. Uh, but the Amiens fans were asking for the resignation of Lucas Elsner after that one. Uh, Angers opened the score against Reims 1-0. But then 18-year-old El Bilal Touré stepped up to take a penalty on his first Ligue 1 start. It's unbelievable. On his first Ligue 1 start, he decided to take the penalty that Reims got. He took a Neymar, uh, what do you call it, the walk to the to the ball there, and put it in the back of the net. And uh, Reims went on to win 4-1. So they kind of scored uh, all the goals they were supposed to score back in January uh, in this one. Strasbourg... Also opened the scoring against Lille, but uh, Lille came back and won it. Their second away win of the season, 2-1. Victor Ostenhen scoring the winning penalty. Actually, guys, we have a question here um, on Twitter from Road to Nowhere Football, who tells us, Strasbourg have conceded a league-high 22 penalties since the return of the top flight. What do you think are the reasons behind that, and what does this stat tell us about their style? Mitrovic. Well, it very much tells us that, that they are, yeah, they are a, a rough and ready side. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of teams in league can probably vouch for that. I think Neymar alone can probably vouch <laughs> that they are they are a team unafraid to uh, leave the boot in, shall we say? So, 
yeah, that's, but it, I, I, I wouldn't have pegged them down as as the uh, as the team to have had them to have conceded the most. So credit mm. to them for uh, making me look as though they under, have underestimated them. It's definitely in the image of of their manager Thierry Loret, who's uh, who who likes rough defending and, and um, you know all sorts of of uh, manly energy ar- around his side. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it is if it is rough defending. I think sometimes it's just really oh. quite bad defending. I mean, for me, the the answer is two words: oh. Steven Steven yeah. Drivic. Uh, okay. <laughs> when when he's not conceding the penalty, he's out of position that he's forced someone else to do so. Uh, but um, but it is fascinating, and it is also fascinating that they seem to do, you know, they, regardless, they seem to do quite well. Um, you know, they're mm-hmm. definitely. I'd say they they're, they're genuinely European dark horses at this point. Yeah, although it is uh, it is a very tight race for those last European spots. Um, the final match of the weekend was Dijon hosting Brest, three 0 win for Dijon, uh, who are now five points clear of the relegation zone. So they were. Uh, in, Probably the best winners of the weekend, um, based on that. Uh, two goals from Mama Balde and one from Steffi Mavididi again. Uh, in Ligue 2, uh, the match of the week was a crazy 4-4 draw between Niort and Paris uh, FC. Um, in other words, the 18th and 19th in the league. So it was a much better version of the of the Amiens-Toulouse match uh, from Ligue 1. A hat-trick from Ibrahim Sissoko for Niort. And uh, obviously, both teams coached by big names now, with with Franck Bassi and and uh, René Girard at Paris. Uh, in other news, Lorient kept up their their rhythm with a four 0 win in Sochaux, while the following six teams behind them in the league all dropped points. So, a uh, good chance for them to make the gap a little larger. And in the Women's Coupe de France, Lyon faced none other than my very own Tonon Evian, who are in second division. Four levels higher than than the men's first team is, uh, so you know they're really uh, what's uh, pulling us up in, at the club. Um, they respectably lost only two 0 against OL. The biggest win of the week was for Reims, who beat CA Paris of third division eight 0 And in the upcoming quarterfinals, the only first non the only non first division team uh, is Arras from second division. Uh, right then, let's finish up with a little bit of a transfer uh, roundup for the January transfer window. Uh, Rich, apart from, of course, the arrival of Steven and Zanzi Terren, <laughs> are there any good deals that, that stand out f- from, uh, to you? I don't know about, I don't know if this is going to be a good one or not, but it's certainly a very interesting one. Uh, perennial. Manchester United, perennially Manchester United linked uh, Nicolas uh, Gaetan has uh, has joined Lille. Mm. Um, I mean, whether I mean we we saw glimpses, didn't we, of, of what Man United were and the reason why Man United were linked with him those those years back during his time at Benfica. Um, it's you know whether he can recover any kind of form um, will be interesting to see. But I think probably in terms of of the team making the most interesting moves, I think you probably only have, well, for me, I would only be looking at Lille. Um, I think the, the, the signings and the, the, the transfers that they have made, um, they've obviously got good money for Lucas Toussaint and kept him on loan for the rest of the season. It's sad that things haven't worked out for him, but, you know, they've they've got, got a good chunk of money for him there. 
They've brought in um, Carl Toko Ikembe back to, to Liga. Uh, they've signed him on uh, on loan and he's already paying dividends. I think he's got two and two. Um, and then obviously the, the big name signing was, and the one that sort of snapped, um, I mean, he's very close to, I think, Arsenal, was it? was Bruno Gimaresh. Um, a hefty outlay on him on that, but I think that was offset by the fee they got for Lucas Toussaint. So, by all accounts, I mean I'm not going to profess to know a huge amount from him, but he comes with a very, um, a very high reputation, and many people are saying give him, you know, two or three seasons, and the transfer fee for him could be many, many multiples of what Leon paid for. So, I think to have brought in a player with with that kind of reputation shows that that Leon still have a you know, a, a big name to be carried across Europe. And, and I think from what I read, Janino played a pretty key part in uh, in helping complete that signing. So he's finally, far be it for me to criticise Janino, but he's finally perhaps showing what worth he can bring in that sort of um, to director, sporting director role. Christian, do you want to add anything before I move to the the bad news? Uh, sure, why not? Uh, I think Monaco's late flurry of business deserves a mention too. Um, the signing of uh, Fofana uh, from Strasbourg for 15 million euros to me seems like pretty good value for a player who has a very considerable number of appearances to his name at, at the age of just 21 in, in Ligue 1. Someone who can play I think quite nicely um, moving moving across the midfield uh, in a sort of box-to-box role or uh, can sit deeper as well. Um, I think a double pivot with another signing they made, a very young signing, a uh, 20-year-old French central midfielder, Orléans Chouameni from Bordeaux for, tw- uh, for, for, as I said, 20 million euros all said and done, um, is... Very salivating. I mean, it might not happen for for a year or two. I do think, you know, people were sort of saying, oh, but signing just, you know, two very similar players of very similar calibers at a very similar age of progression as classic Monaco, just trying to hoard like the the next French talents before ruining them. I think that narrative is is a bit old. And actually, I see them as as quite different players. I think Chouamani plays a little bit more defensively. And if Moreno does eventually go to a two-man midfield, that's quite exciting. Uh, and then, obviously, they've made some interesting signings that, that should serve them well in the future, too. Um, young Polish goalkeeper who's sent, been sent back on loan to Legia Warsaw. His name escapes me, but he was very highly regarded by a couple of people I spoke to uh, on, on the Polish side of things. Um, and then they've obviously signed um, a couple of centre-halves as well. Um, Jean Marcelin comes as one of the hottest names of his generation uh, at centre-back from Ligue de Saïdoza for about 10 million euros. And, and then they've also signed a guy from uh, Partizan Belgrade, another teenager central defender um, who's been sent back on loan there as well until the end of the season. So uh, I think what it probably suggests is that uh, Vice President Oleg Petrov is going to go with an enormous overhaul in the summer. I think people like Kamil Glick, Jemison, even Maripan, who came last summer, Badi Ashile, I think they're all going to be literally entirely uh, removed um, because Monaco were also trying to sign uh, a, a centre-half from, from Real Sociedad on deadline day in a move that didn't, in the end, go through. So I think it's going to be a brutal revolution uh, under under Moreno. I think uh, there's not going to be a single body left from triumphs of the past, which 
I think Monaco fans will probably tell you is no bad thing. But but I thought their their business was done very very well. I thought they were, it was done at pretty good prices, um, and I thought it was quite intelligent to do it in January uh, when these players I think would have had a lot more concrete bids and, and interest going in for them with clubs who had a bit more time in the summer to prepare everything and, and identify targets. Um, so, yeah, I think they've done a good job and, and I'm hopeful that this is the first set of business uh, since the departure of Luis Campos as sporting director that, that Monaco will look proudly back on. These these very much felt like Luis Campos-style signings. You know, you go back to the sort of glory days, if you like, of that, of of Monaco identifying young talent both within France but also um the the wider scene and and going after it and making these signings which if they develop as we you know we hope that they do and certainly based off the promise that we have seen so far the prices that they pay for will be a drop in the ocean um comfort so for me it very much felt like a back to the lewis campos style of saying rather than as we've seen perhaps in the last two or three seasons where they've been dropping you know 20 million on a 16 year old that's barely signed a professional contract yeah, they're going back to the okay. Let's sign these players who are showing great promise, who've got a few games under their, you know, more than a few games under their belt. Let's sign them whilst they are slightly off the radar of the bigger teams, with a view then to to sort of improving them and you know by probably just selling them off for a huge amount in in three or four years time. So from from a Monaco perspective, I can only see that as a good thing. Yeah, and I should add as well, it's a big mystery as to who's behind all these moves. No one really knows. <laughs> Even in Monaco, you ask people at Monaco, they don't, they don't really know because um, Petrov... Even here at GFFN, we don't know. We, yeah, we, we don't really know. We are working <laughs> on it, but we, we don't really know uh, because Petrov is known for having no knowledge of football prior to this role. His son is, <laughs> is trying to play quite a big role. Um, his son is, is, I think, early 20s. Um, but uh, yeah, nobody really knows because there's there's still a big turnover in terms of uh, staff. There's still a couple of staff to exit post the Harden era as well. So yeah, it, it's it's a good surprise, and I feel like we don't get that many of those in league at the moment. So let, let's hold on to that. Um, here's for a a bad surprise, unfortunately. Well, I don't know if it's a surprise really, but uh, guys. What stage of mourning are you at for Olivier Giroud's French national team career? <laughs> I'm in denial. They, they, yeah, they, I'm, they're I'm gonna, at anger. They, let, it, let, him, let, him, let him go out on a high in the summer. He deserves it. It can't end like this. Yeah. I think there's a very real chance that it does end like this. You know, from everything that Deschamps had been saying in interviews prior, I think if Moussa Dembélé can put together... A good string of, of performances. I mean, he, he's untouchable at the moment. I think he. I think last the weekend was the first game he hasn't scored in. Is that right? Or did he score? No, he did. Did he score? No, he didn't. Did he um, score? No, he, no, he didn't. He I don't didn't, think so. No. no. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was the but first actually, game that Dembele hadn't scored in in all competitions in 2020. Um, so I think that Deschamps has his eye on on Dembele. He's a, a a young guy, but with a fantastic work ethic. Um, not not at all the same profile. I think he, he struggles a little bit more. Well, certainly a lot more in hold-up play than Giroud does. And maybe he's a little bit technically less proficient, but more physical, more of a presence. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the problem for Didier Deschamps is that Giroud is absolutely pivotal to this sort of asymmetric 4-2-3-1 that yeah. won the World Cup. And, and 
you know, and, and, and it is a lot about it of it is to find a striker that is so selfless, that is willing to make dummy run after dummy run to make space for Mbappe and Griezmann over 90 minutes. And that, you know, that is very, very hard to find in, in the modern game. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know about the, the, what Deschamps will do, obviously, but uh, I hope he picks him. I really do. I think Giroud, Giroud can perhaps hope on. Perhaps one thing that Giroud can hope for, I suppose, is is that the likes of Griezmann sort of fight his corner. You know, Deschamps obviously knows exactly what he's going to get from from Giroud, but ultimately Deschamps is not a man for you know being tied to anything from an emotional point of view. Ultimately, if you aren't but, good for me for the team, then then he's not going to play. So. Yeah. But it may be, you know, if if he can see that the likes of the, the best chance of France winning in the summer would be to to maintain that that formation and maintain the positioning with the with Giroud sort of leading that line to get the best out of Mbappe and Griezmann, maybe that might be enough. I was going to say, did uh, uh, Deschamps has no attachment to anything apart from Moussa Sissoko? But yeah. and just so i can vent my anger too i mean chelsea said they changed their mind because they need a replacement but why do you need a replacement for a guy who never plays a guy who you know with with tammy abraham kind of injured they decided to still play abraham and not even call up jihu to the bench rather than than well that rather than to call up jihu I don't understand in what circumstances they're going to use him or need anybody in, you know, him or a replacement. And it's just so harsh that they kept him. And, ugh, no. <laughs> there was an interesting debate, just on this very quickly. I know you, you want to wrap up, but there was a very interesting debate mm. about what if Giroud had done what basically every player usually does in his situation, which is give like 10 million different uh, interviews to press in the UK and in France, saying that mm. Chelsea are holding him against his will. Uh, you know, whether he got his agent, uh, uh, Michael Manuelo, to go out there to the press and say Chelsea are being unfair and you've got this, this and this interest. And whether he'd, you know, basically done what David Luiz did last summer and refused to train uh, at Chelsea to try and force a move. Uh, if he'd done any of those things, whether he would still be a Chelsea player now. And, and I think, it, you know, it, it's worth thinking about. That's a very good question actually and i'm just reading here in the guardian actually uh this is what uh, abraham has said about jihu he's like a big brother to me his at- attitude has been great in training we are always doing finishing and we have a competition after training as well uh, he's been encouraging many of the young lads so really nothing to reproach um from jihu but yeah he's too nice for his own good yeah. <laughs> i guess <laughs> it's a sad reality that in 2020 nice guys lose in in, in european football <laughs> Oh boy. Well, that's why Mbappe is getting angry at Tuchel, so that he can keep winning, I guess, is the moral. <laughs> Let's not open it up again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that, that brings us uh, nicely round to the end of the show. Uh, thank you, Christian, for joining us on Late Notice. Always a pleasure, Pierre-Paul. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And thank you, Rich, for c- coming back. It's great to have you back. Yeah, no, it's really good to be back. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, as usual, you can get the latest French football news on Twitter at GFFN or look at our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. 
the Thursday, uh, the preview show, sorry, is out on Friday morning, and I will be hosting that this week, actually. So look forward to talking talking to you again, and you can hear from Rich again on Monday next. Have a good evening, and thank you for listening. <laughs>